Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Kareem the Dream Killer as Benzema bests blues. There's more takeover talk. We preview Saturday's trip to Southampton. And there's the latest instalment of our beloved quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Ah, dear listener, not quite the midweek that we were hoping for in the world of Chelsea FC, but we're here to discuss it anyway. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the Athletics' Chelsea correspondent. Liam Toomey's back with us. Looking forward to my trip to Madrid next week. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Simon Johnson, are you still planning on on going as well, or or has last night put the kibosh on that for you? Adios, uh, Champions League. (laughs) No, it's bueno. Uh, that's where we're going to start. <laughs> Wednesday night's Champions League quarterfinal first leg at Stamford Bridge. It's a bit sloppy there from Mendy, oh, no. and here's the chance, and there's the hat trick. Karim Benzema, only the fourth player to score successive hat tricks in successive Champions League matches. But what on earth were Chelsea doing there? They can see the goal inside the opening minute of the second half. They're 3-1 down. Benzema celebrates. But Chelsea causing all of their own problems. A little bit downcast now, but you're still going to battle on. There's still a chance. Sorry? You look a little bit downcast. 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 You look a bit fed up. What do you expect? What do you expect? To stand here and smile? or what? No, no, not at all. I'm saying that you will still have to go to Madrid. No, we don't have to go to Madrid. We have to go to Southampton. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is very, very important to process this first. Absolutely crucial that we first go to Southampton. And I will make sure that everybody processes this because this is the absolutely most important now. Because if we keep on playing like this, we will lose in Southampton. And then we don't need to think about Bernabeu. We will get hammered in Bernabeu. Thomas Tuchel, not a happy man. Not what he and Chelsea were hoping for as Real Madrid claimed a commanding lead ahead of next week's second leg at the Bernabeu. Uh, We'll get the Thursday morning thoughts of the boys shortly, but let's hear what Simon made of it at full time. Here's his in-person report from Stamford Bridge. And the final whistle's just gone and Chelsea have been humbled 3-1 at home by Real Madrid. Uh, The fans are just piling past me to my right. Uh, Looks like most of them have sort of accepted that basically they're at class, but two class were two things ahead of this game. He wanted a response from the fans, he got that. He wanted a response from his players, he didn't get that. The story of this game effectively comes down to the difference between two players in each side. For Benzema, Benzema v Lukaku, Mendy v Courtois. Benzema gets a hat-trick, Lukaku misses at least two guilt-edged chances. 
Courtois makes a few blinding saves among, among lots of booing and heckling from the Chelsea fans. Mendy makes the key mistake just after the restart of the second half, which effectively put Chelsea's hopes of progressing to a Champions League semi-final very much in jeopardy. Um, how on earth they can rebuild from this, regroup from this, that's two shocking home performances in a row. We've got Southampton away, then another trip to the Bernabeu to try and turn this one around. But suddenly Tuchel is under a bit of pressure after two very disappointing performances. You can hear the Real Madrid fans to my left. They certainly enjoyed their evening, but Chelsea fans are just filing away to my right here. Very silent. They realise they've been uh, outplayed by a better side. Certainly a better Real Madrid than we saw in the semi-finals last year. Oh, cracky, that was depressing. Uh, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. It's not going to get any better. No, uh, with good cause, absolutely. Uh, we, we've spent so long, Liam, on this podcast praising Thomas Tuchel, and, and rightly so. He's, he's made Chelsea European and world champions. But did he pick both the wrong team and the wrong formation for this game? Yeah, I don't know if he picked the wrong formation, but I think he, he picked a team for a different game. Uh, I think he picked a team to play last year's Real Madrid um, and in and in sort of last year's situation in the tie where, of course, Chelsea drew 1-1 away from home in the first leg and, and kind of had an edge. They had something to defend at Stamford Bridge that forced Real Madrid to make the game and they were able to turn them over, hit them on the break and, and carve them open, uh, as we saw. This season was completely different. Obviously, Real Madrid have a different coach now in Carlo Ancelotti. Karim Benzema's in the form of his life. They have Vinicius as well, who adds a speed element they didn't necessarily have. And they were prepared to play without the ball in a way that they just weren't last year. And, and Chelsea actually seemed to, to set up to to try and press Real Madrid back and pin them back. And that created all sorts of opportunities um, for, for Madrid to counter through Vinicius. And of course, Benzema was just unbelievably clinical. You know, it's one of the best performances by a number nine I've seen at Stamford Bridge. It, it really was incredible. Not not even just the sensational goals, but his all-round play. He knew exactly when to drop in to help Madrid keep the ball and, and take some pressure off them. Um, but going back to Tuchel's team selection, I think, you know, picking Kante rather than Kovacic, not only did it kind of uh, take out at the knees my Modric-Kovacic pre-match piece, uh, from Zagreb, but it also, I think, you know, it, it it put Chelsea in a position where they were they were best placed to try and cut Madrid's possession rather than make their own and 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 take the initiative themselves. And they looked a lot better when Kovacic came on at half time. And also, as Pilaqueta at left wing back, just wasn't a very adventurous selection. It was made, I think, with with an eye towards defensive solidity. As it happened, Real Madrid didn't really attack down that side anyway. Uh, and it also meant that I think Christian Pulisic was very isolated on the left, had no had no attacking support really, um, and so yeah, Chelsea it, it it just didn't really make sense tactically. I think it didn't suit the 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 nature of this year's opponent or the state of the game. Uh, and by the time Tuchel changed it at half time, the, the damage was largely done by Benzema. Uh, Simon, Liam mentions defensive solidity there. You've crunched the numbers on this for, for your post-match piece. It's not something that's just happened against Brentford and Real Madrid, is it? This defensive wobble has, has been there for, for a good few months now. 
Yeah, I, I just found his comments quite jarring, and 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 that's why I I actually asked him, um, and and especially when you sort of think, well, what what um, what was the the key to Chelsea winning the Champions League last season? Um, it was their ability to defend the clean sheet record. It therefore meant that the the kind of chances Lukaku went on to miss um, last night, it wasn't so costly because Chelsea were keeping teams out. But basically, since their last amazing performance in Europe, which was the 4-0 win over Juventus, the very next game was that Jorginho mistake against which gifted Jadon Sancho a goal against Manchester United. And since then, you know, without going over the top, but they have conceded regularly. And we're talking about not even the best. We're not talking about Benzema here. We're talking, you know, teams like Chesterfield, Plymouth, you know, teams like that, Leeds scoring twice, Everton. And Callum Robinson isn't even in the league anymore, so you couldn't even point <laughs> to that. The, the, the standard of the goals, you, you, you sort of think about and go, quiet. There haven't been many worldies. There haven't been sort of many ridiculous finishes like we saw from Benzema. There have been so many sloppy mistakes. So I, I, I just took exception to Tuchel making out. It's it's just been a problem in the last two games. Obviously, it, it's highlighted because there's been seven goals and, and Chelsea had, before the international break, been on a great winning run. But the great winning run still came with a lot of defensive uncertainty. And the, this team collectively, I'm not picking on the defenders here, collectively, they're all sort of making individual errors. Um, and that's something that's got to quickly turn around for top four hopes, FA Cup semi-final, and any any semblance of a chance in the second leg. Chelsea kind of are where they are, Liam, aren't they, in terms of defenders because of injuries and, and because people like, Liveramento and Gurhi and Tamori are no longer at the club. So I guess there's only so many changes they can make to that. I'm not just saying this because of what happened with the third goal, but I do wonder if maybe there's a case to be made to, to put Kepper in and give Mendy a bit of a rest for a few games. It seems like his form's dipped fairly significantly of late. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it, there was. I don't think there was anything he could do about Benzema's first two goals. Um, the third one is... Is horrendous. It, it's a bizarre sort of subplot to all of this that Benzema does this a lot, and I, I don't think it's anything that he does. But goalkeepers seem to just give him the ball. It's it's a, a remarkable quality that I've seen in very few strikers around the world. You remember Loris Karius from the Champions League final a few years ago? That's probably the highest profile example. It was very similar to that. Um, yeah, it was a it was a bad moment from Mendy, and and you often see with the ball at his feet. You know, Mendy gives the impression that he's got that in him at any given point, even though he he's actually got a very good passing range, but just his general comfort level on the ball um, when he's required to make decisions doesn't always fill you with confidence. And I thought actually Real Madrid did a very good job of pressing very intelligently last night in that Benzema would do little fakes and, and he'd hedge one way to just to try and make the player on the ball make another decision. To, to not do what they were initially going to do. And I think that's partly what led to that Mendy mistake. And then, of course, Rudiger, maybe with the yellow card in his mind, doesn't go in as forcefully as he should do and just make sure he wins that tackle and, and Benzman just ends up with the ball at his feet. Um, as for the goalkeeper selection, I, I don't know. Kepa's been better. 
he has been better in the last few months to the point where I think you wouldn't have serious reservations about playing him for for a run of games. But I, my abiding impression of um, of that save Thibaut Courtois made from Cesaris Pilaqueta in the second half, that sensational save, was that I don't know if either of Chelsea's goalkeepers make that save right now, and and that's that's obviously a problem that's a lot harder to solve. So that's the defence, Simon. But of course, Chelsea could have scored more than one goal in this game. There was the Azpilicueta shot that Liam referenced. Mason Mount went close as well. But but obviously, as you mentioned in your voice note, that the Lukaku misses is the standout one and, and kind of symptomatic of his season. And, and as you pointed out, it's, the contrast was so stark between him and, and Benzema at the other end. Yeah, and the one thing I would say, like in his defence, and again, to compare the two, is you're comparing a guy who's playing all the time He's sharp. He's ready. He's playing off instinct now. He he knows where the goal is. You know he, he's playing club and country all the time. My one defence, Lukaku, is he, he he's barely been playing. So to then suddenly throw him in and sort of go get me out of a hole, is it a big surprise that he's a bit off it? Um, that that's my best case of the defence. I'm not remotely saying that Kai Havertz should be starting up front because he scores again. You know, he, he deserves his spot at the top of the pitch. But I I just think that that is a circumstance where you go, yeah, it, perhaps that, that played a part. But when you buy a player for £97.5 million, this is the kind of occasion you buy him for to, to make the difference. To And it was a golden opportunity for him to, to, to win back some some favour with the supporters. I mean it was it was audible the sound when he missed that free header from the it was it was arguably the loudest sound of discontent among the fans and they had a lot to be unhappy about <laughs> it, the whole night. It was it was it was it, they weren't only Thibaut Courtois, his Belgian teammate, had a tougher a tougher <laughs> reception and how brutal that was. Um but yeah, I'm afraid that the Lukaku um it, it as a signing, it was only shown for the disappointment it's been even more by, unfortunately, what Benzema did at the other end. I can't get over, and this is not just coming from last night, this is coming from watching Lukaku all season. I can't get over how bad he is at judging the flight of the ball for, for he- headers, whether it's competing for a header um, against the defender or a headed opportunity. He just seems to get the coordination and the timing all wrong. And he's got, he's obviously got the physique and the and the the leap. He's got all the physical tools to be really dominant in the air. And he has scored some headed goals, but it's so erratic. I mean, the, to me, the the first header, the first headed chance, which obviously wasn't as glaring, was almost more indicative of of what happens when he tries to head the ball because he, he headed it a good twenty five <laughs> feet to the right of where he wanted to. Um, just because the, the, the timing was all wrong. And that kind of, if you're going to reduce him to sort of an impact role player, which is what he is at Chelsea at the moment, maybe in situations against deep-lying opponents when you're chasing a goal, his usefulness in those situations is undercut by the fact that you are disproportionately likely to get headed chances in those situations because you're putting in crosses and high balls into a into a packed box. And if he's not good enough to put those chances away or to be relied upon to to even connect cleanly, that's a big problem. Uh, so 
Yeah, I mean, I I also feel like a reckoning is coming with the change of ownership because any new Chelsea owners will not feel as invested in you know making Lukaku work as the current hierarchy are because they they just haven't they weren't the ones who paid for him. They can claim that they were, you know, they're cleaning up a mistake from the previous ownership. So it's it does feel like it's getting towards a, a sort of end point now, which is crazy to say, given that we're not even through one season of this. Swap deal for Harry Kane. I think that would probably make us all fairly happy, wouldn't it? Um, so Lukaku might be on the way out. It looks like Andreas Christensen is. Subbed at half-time here, Simon. Uh, producer Lucy pointing out that, that Thomas Tuchel spent a lot of his pre-match press conference talking about the Christensen situation. Did you think that that was something that factored into his performance? Or, or is he, like Lukaku, just feeling the effects of not playing every week and then getting thrown into a massive game like this? I can't be a hypocrite. Well, I can't be wise off the event, put it that way, because I had Christensen playing and Rhys James playing. Um, so I can't criticise Tuchel for picking them because I'd, I'd pick them. But what I would say is that on the evidence in front of me, when because obviously Tuchel has much more benefit than I have actually seeing these guys, Rhys James didn't look Rhys James, like fitness-wise, like the very high levels that we, we've come to expect. And he was playing very high up the pitch, which effectively left Christensen with the alone to deal with Vinicius, who was fantastic. Christensen rattled very, very early on with Vinicius. Um, it was a fantastic performance. Bizarrely rated only a six by Lekeep. Um Don't know what game they were watching. Um, but no one was that surprised that Christensen was brought off. I know there's... You know, Chelsea fans were saying his head's in Barcelona. Blah, blah. I even joked actually at one point in the first half when he when he uh, fouled. I think it may have been Vinicius. I can't remember now. But I sort of said, "Oh, he's already laying down a marker for the El Clasico next season." Um, but I, I don't think that. I don't think you know Christensen's going in there going, "Oh, I'm saving myself a Barcelona and, and not any of that." I just think he was completely exposed by a very good player. And unfortunately, the combination of of that and Reese not being there to help him, it just didn't work. The right flank, it just didn't work. As, as you've already said, you know, the left flank uh, with Aspilicueta, you didn't really sort of see Real Madrid target that side. It was all down that that left flank. Um, noticeably, when when Tuchel changed it in the second half, of course, Christensen went off, and they went four at the back. And, and Reese James was moved back to his uh, right-back position. Vinicius did have a much quieter second half, but, you know, as as one, once that third goal went in, the damage was already done. Um, what, how Christensen bounced back from this, I, I don't know. Certainly in the, in the view of the fans, I don't think they'll be campaigning to have him back in the side anytime soon because I think they've really made their minds up that... Yeah, he's no longer required. It's time to think about the future. They'll, they'll probably be asking for Trevor Chalaber to be to be playing on a more regular basis now. Finally, on Madrid, then Liam Thomas Tuchel doesn't seem to think there's much chance of Chelsea turning this around. Can you make any kind of case for it? I mean, I'm professionally invested in making this case. Otherwise, my editor <laughs> might just cancel my trip. Um, it, it, it's hard. I think the third goal, the combination of the third goal, and then the chances that Chelsea missed in that sort of 10-minute stretch 
where they really had the, the Stamford Bridge crowd up and, and Madrid looked rattled that seemed to end with that Lukaku-headed chance. Um, you know, the combination of those two things makes it really, really difficult. And there's also the fact that, you know, Chelsea Chelsea sort of tried to make the game in the first leg uh, this year compared to last year where they were able to react in both legs. And they're going to have to do it again. You know, if they are going to come come back, not only will they need probably their best performance of the season in a very hostile Bernabeu, which we, we've already seen PSG crumble in that environment, but they'll need to do it as the proactive team and they're going to have to leave themselves potentially vulnerable to the counter-attacking threat of Vinicius and Benzema and, you know, potentially giving these guys space to operate in. So it, it's really hard... It's not impossible. I think that was Tuchel speaking emotionally after the game. And I think he he's, he sort of couched it, didn't he, even within the press conference of saying, if we perform like this, we'll get hammered at the Bernabeu and it's completely over. We can't even think about that right now before Southampton. He just wants to see a response. Um, but they're, they're, they're certainly heavy underdogs now, you would have to say, given Madrid's experience in this competition the form Benzema's in and, and the fact that they're at home. Good job, UEFA scrapped the away goal rule. <laughs> so that, that's that's one one source of optimism that that um, there isn't that sort of hanging over their heads. And if they get the first goal, that that's the key, isn't it? Like if if they can get 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 ahead, suddenly the atmosphere in the ground changes. It becomes one of tension, nervousness. Or are Real Madrid going to throw this away? All the pressure's on them in that scenario. Uh, Tuchel's, you could ar- also argue that by him saying the tie is over, it, it's kind of putting all the pressure on Real Madrid to, to finish the job. But of course, they're, they're, they're rank outsiders to, you know, to go to the Bernabeu and at least win by two clear goals. That's a tough, tough ask, particularly as we've been discussing the way they've been defending lately. Tuesday of next week for the second leg of that Champions League quarterfinal. Chelsea back in action on Saturday. We'll preview the trip to St Mary's later, but next we'll talk takeovers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the four bidders shortlisted to buy Chelsea are all having the opportunity to meet with the club before the April 11th deadline set by Rain for final offers to be in. Uh, Tom and Laura Ricketts met with the club earlier this week. Simon had a chat with Eric Nordness, who led the Ricketts family's redevelopment of Wrigley Field, the home of the Chicago Cubs baseball team 
that they own. That's up on The Athletic now. Well worth the read as well. As you say, Simon, at the start of the piece, you know, people have got their issues with the Ricketts bid and, and you can thoroughly understand the reasons for that. But this is sort of presented as a, as a separate piece with, with them talking about what they're going to do with the stadium. And, and they've certainly got the background and the history to be able to do that in a pretty effective way. It, it would appear that the idea to, to redevelop the stadium while still playing in it is pretty attractive, right? Yeah, and and it was really it's really stressed from them, and I don't think they're the only one only bidders thinking of doing this, by the way, and that's why I also thought it was a it was a reasonable idea to run with what they were saying because what their views and what their sort of like um, impression of the situation, the project, will be basically what the others will be sort of thinking about and the difficulties, but he, he Eric was really sort of stressing that. The, the importance of, of being at the ground still and, and trying to go stand by stand. He, he referred to how they did it at Wrigley Fields and if they'd moved away, it would have been cheaper and it would have been easier. But he highlighted how a year after they started the construction, Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And he was sort of saying, imagine, imagine if we'd been elsewhere when this had happened, like the Chicago Cubs fans, Wrigley Field is a very famous ground. Um, generations of fa- fans have been waiting for this moment. It, it would have been unthinkable for them to be away. So uh, I, th- I think they deserve some some acknowledgement for the fact they're trying to do this. It, it's been met with a lot of um, cynicism, as I think it was never to be going to, going to be because it's someone associated with the Ricketts family. Um, and some of the readers' comments was were sort of suggesting, well, what there isn't enough detail here. But I actually took took Eric as quite a genuine person. I don't think he was he was just full of bluster. This is a guy that knows how difficult it is to rebuild a ground whilst the team's playing in it. And I think I'd be more suspicious of his motives if he was coming out with very grand promises of it's gonna be it's gonna look like this, it's gonna look like that, we're gonna build this many it's going to be a bigger ground than Spurs. and Because that's the kind of thing you would sort of be coming out with if you're trying to get fans on side as part of some PR campaign. He was actually very honest and sort of saying, this is, this is one of the hardest projects you can, you can try and pull off. Um, but the experience of doing a very similar site in Chicago, he feels, gives him an advantage over the other guys attempts to redevelop the ground but that this won't be the only only factor in a winning bid you know it's it, it is one of the things on the table but um there are other things at stake here but i, I found it a very interesting chat but it's not going to be a quick build this if if whoever wins this this bid is going to take many many years for stanford bridge to be redeveloped Liam, what have you made of the the Ricketts family's kind of very public courting of Chelsea as a club? Because it, it, it's in contrast with, with the other three bidders, really, isn't it? We heard a little bit from Martin Broughton b- before the preferred bidders, or the or you know the, the people taken through to the next round were were named. But other than that, everybody's been quiet. Are they, are they feeling like they've got to be on the front foot PR wise, given how negative it, it has been for them? Yeah, I certainly think they feel probably correctly that they have the most work to do on the PR front, given the early mobilisation against them. And the other bids haven't really had that 
level of opposition or really any opposition. I mean, Todd, Todd Bowley's consortium, I think, has had near universal positive coverage. Uh, I haven't seen many negative stories written about him or, or anyone he's involved with. And the Martin Broughton bid, I mean, the only, you know, the only controversy around that appears to be that Josh Harris and David Blitzer still don't appear to want to be named, even though everyone knows they are involved in the main money behind this. I expect kind of all of them to to maybe ramp things up a little bit more, even if it's only indirectly in terms of briefings. Um, we might see the odd, you know, the odd interview here and there from members of different consortiums. The the strangest one is Team Paliuka because they are operating in in total silence, and even the Chelsea fan groups haven't heard anything from them. You know, there there hasn't even been an attempt to to make contact. Um, so we we know nothing about their plans for the club. We know nothing about um, who's in this boat with Paliuka providing money. Uh, and it, you know, if they were to come up on the rails and win this, I think there would be a lot of surprise and a lot of questions, just because we know so very little about how they've even got to this point. But yeah, it doesn't surprise me that the Ricketts have been so active because I think they have to be. Uh, listener, this is a bit where I tell you that this is a rapidly developing story and the best place to keep up with it is on The Athletic. Just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber, it'll cost you only a pound a month for your first six months. All right, we'll get back to the football next. Southampton on the horizon. Oh, I was kind of wondering, you know, how we'd make this game sort of sound interesting because Southampton versus Chelsea is not exactly one that gets the, the pulses racing. Southampton very firmly mid-table, but all of a sudden, Simon, this is an absolutely massive game for Chelsea, isn't it? Because uh, a poor run of form can quickly turn into a crisis, as we know, in SW6, and, and defeat against Southampton would certainly precipitate that. Cracked badge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could have been worse. But thanks to Arsenal doing an Arsenal, um, there, there's a bit bit less pressure. There's still that five point gap, but but Spurs have suddenly uh, got got clicking again. Although one one can sort of perhaps assume another slip up from them will be will soon follow, um, judging by their history. But no, this is a huge, and that's why Tuchel, when he was pressed about the second leg, was going no Southampton, Southampton, and because he knows. He knows that this is this is an important game for their top four hopes. So the, they they should they should have wrapped it up by now. They've dropped so many points, but particularly at home, perhaps they're 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 grateful the fact they're they're away from Stamford Bridge because for some reason this season Stamford Bridge has become the 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 what what's bringing them down. Um, they just can't seem to get a consistent run of form there. Whereas away from home. They'd been on an extraordinary run of games away from home in 2022. And that's where most of their wins have come. Um, of course, they're blessed by the fact that Armando Brogia can't face them. Um, that helps. But this is a tough game. Ralph Hassanal is, is he's a good coach. He, he knows how to how to get them and prepared. And, and, and all these coaches would be looking at Chelsea right now. And as Liam, I think, inferred earlier on is... You can see where Chelsea's weaknesses are, they're, they're, and and they all think they're very vulnerable to the, a counter attack. Um, and Edouard Mendy, if he does play, will be uh, put under a lot of pressure every time he gets the ball at his feet. 
I was tempted to ask Liam if, if Tino Livramento might be more like Tino Lamento. No, that's not going to work. But but basically, might he have think if he'd stayed at Chelsea this season, he'd have got a fair amount of football given what's happened to Reese James. But he's featured in 24 of 30 Premier League games for Southampton. So he's justified his decision to go, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he might have played... He might have played a bit more than than expected, given how many injury problems Reese James has had, and given the fact that as Piliqueta gets moved around within Tuchel's system, but you can completely understand the conclusion that he and his camp reached. You know that he was behind an established England international who just started a Champions League final, and the club captain in in that area of the pitch. And of course, Chelsea spent you know a decent chunk of early last summer chasing Ashraf Hakimi as well, who's pretty much the the kind of fully realised version of what Tino Livramento could be as a player. So I completely understand um, why he decided not to renew his contract. And once that happens, Chelsea had to make an immediate decision. They couldn't they couldn't let him go a year from now for nothing and, and just kind of take the risk. So they've got the buyback. That obviously partly depends on him as well and whether he sees Chelsea as a good career move when that buyback becomes active. But in the meantime, this has unquestionably been an absolutely brilliant move for his development. Not only did he have a better chance of playing at Southampton, um, but the style of team that they are, I think, really suits his game. And he's immediately established himself as as a quality starting right back in this league. Uh, Southampton, by the way, ended a four-match losing streak by drawing at Leeds last weekend. They've only won five of 15 at home in the Premier League and they've lost the last two at St Mary's against Newcastle and Watford. Chelsea, with a good record there, haven't lost since 2013. Three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. We're bringing the reaction in Monday's pod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18s crashed out of the Youth Cup on Monday night. I'm hoping that Adam Hurry will uh, approve of the word crashed used in that context, given that Ed Brand's team will 1-0 up in the semi against Forest at the City ground uh, up until the 87th minute. Charlie Webster put the Blues in front just after the hour. Forest then equalising before Detlef Esper 
Osong scored twice in stoppage time to put Forest through to their first ever final. They'll face Manchester United at Old Trafford. Uh, Simon, we've spoken a lot about the woes of the under-23 side this season. What about this result and, it, and its impact? Because obviously Chelsea had that ridiculous and tremendous comeback against Liverpool earlier in the competition. But historically, Chelsea reached the finals of the Youth Cup, not the semi-finals. And, and I'm sure Ed Brand is aware that he's had a couple of cracks at it now without being able to, to win win the trophy and, and maybe a little bit of pressure comes with that. Sure. Um, Chelsea, very high standards. Perhaps uh, Harvey Vale was, was, was a miss. I think, I think he, he had an injury, but I, I, I thought defensively uh, seems like the theme of the pod. Um, I did see the goals courtesy of a YouTube link. Um, it sounded like a very uh, happy Nottingham Forest based commentator <laughs> could have been you Matt uh, it could have been me I offered my services they said no they're lost you know yeah it certainly is um but right I mean it looked like a really good attendance there as well Matt I don't know whether you whether you I, I haven't seen the figures but it looked, it looked like great but yeah getting back to the point yes it, it's a disappointment for sure um and again we'll raise questions you know, that that was covered in my piece that I wrote, um, what, a few weeks ago. Uh, I have no concept of time at the moment. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, the, 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 there is a, a, a bit of an issue in the, in the quality of, you know, in terms of... They, there's, there's, the bar was so high when you sort of think back to Chelsea dominating the FA Youth Cup, winning back-to-back UEFA Youth Leagues, winning the, the, the titles of their respective age groups... It's a very hard, hard, you know, it's very difficult to maintain that dominance. You know, teams are going to catch you up and the recruitment policy um, is coming under the microscope because of Brexit rules, etc. But, um, but yeah, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, the semi-final, it can happen. But, yeah, I, I think both Andy Myers and Ed Brown will be a little bit twitchy about sort of um, how they're seen by the club at the moment. Uh, well, Andy Myers under-23s away at Man United on Friday. Even a win won't be enough to lift them out of the relegation zone, though they do have two games in hand on Everton, who are just above the dotted line. Uh, no game for the women's team this weekend. It's international break. It was announced earlier this week that the Swedish defender Jonna Andersson will leave the club at the end of the season. She's off to Hammerby in her home country. Uh, Andersson won every domestic trophy in her time at Chelsea, including three league titles. All right, let's quit. Three questions each, then chaps. Chelsea and Southampton, the theme. Uh, Simon, you're up first. Against whom did Southampton midfielder Oriol Romeu score his only Chelsea goal? <laughs> oh, brutal. <laughs> I, I bet I was there as well. Mm, I think you were. Would it, be, would it be some... It wasn't like a League Cup game or something, was it? It was a League Cup game as it goes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> this isn't a great start to my just answer Ken Monku for every question. <laughs> yeah. Strategy. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be someone rubbish. Um, I'm going to... Uh, it was a penalty, bizarrely. It was a penalty? Mm. I should just... Um, just think of it. I can't even think of a team. <laughs> that's that's a level of my brain power now. 
after weeks of covering Chelsea. Uh, let's just go. It's not the answer. Let's go Nottingham Forest just for the hell of it. Just fun. Oh no! I was going to say, can you think of an animal? But that would have been too big a clue. It was wolves. Wolves. <laughs> Six nil. Twenty twelve League Cup third round. Uh, Liam, here's the first one for you. Which player scored what is likely to be his last ever Premier League goal for Chelsea in a 4-1 win at St Mary's in 2019? What is likely to be? Bit of a clue there. In a 4-1 win at St Mary's. Mm, 2019. Frank Lampard was the manager. The sun was shining. (laughs) (laughs) Setting the scene. (laughs) Who's online? Uh, Gonna have to hurry you. Ross Barkley. It was Mishy Batshuayi. Oh, of course. no steal. Oh, sorry. Did you know that one? <laughs> I was going to come in. Okay. Uh, well, you, you can give me. Some I, rem- I remember it because um, it was actually quite a good um, passing move, and there was like a. It was. You know, the the fans were going. Oh well, no steal. A who assist? Pulisic assist. Yeah, yeah. Nice assist. Was it Batshuayi who scored that really nice, it finished off that really nice passing move at Brighton a couple of years back as well? No, that, that was William, but Batshuayi, Batshuayi was, one, was, of the, in it, wasn't he? Yeah. one of the three consecutive flicks. Lovely. Yeah, lovely. Missed a penalty to great acclaim a few days ago. <laughs> Don't know whether anyone noticed. No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, hit the post and, uh, yeah, let's just say it didn't go down very well in <laughs> with his <laughs> with Besiktas fans. Yeah, go on. Right, forgiving what, uh, bunch. Uh, what nil, random question next? Then. Yeah, Here's on. your second random question. In October 2020, Timo Werner scored twice in a three-all draw between Chelsea and Southampton. He scored five Premier League goals since then. Against whom was the most recent? The most recent Premier League goal. Well, he's only scored one this season. That's correct. Don't and that was against Southampton. It was against Southampton, correct? Sort of a trick question, but you won nil up. Uh, Liam, here's your second question. In 12 caps, how many goals has Armando Breuer scored for Albania? Oh, I think he's got quite a good record. Um, I'm going to say seven. Simon, do you want to steal it? Four. Close. It's three. He's got a really good oh, record for okay. the under 21s, but 12 and three. For the seniors. Oh, for two, Liam. Unlike you. Uh, right, you probably want this it's, last it's question. perfectly like me. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, maybe I should flip around these last questions, but I'm going to keep it as written. Simon, in what year did Southampton sign Ken Moncow from Chelsea <laughs> for £750,000? <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to go... It's early 90s, I think. Um... 92? Oh, he's spot on. Absolutely superb. 1992. Uh, so that is an unassailable... I was 3-0 lead. Uh, well, yeah, it wasn't your question, so not a problem. This one, though, <laughs> you probably weren't Brutal. an adult for, but uh, you were certainly, uh, certainly, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Conscious of what Chelsea were doing? Anyway, move on quickly. Question number three. Come on, Liam, you need to get this, really. You can't, you can't go 0 for 3. Chelsea's first visit to St Mary's, 
or as my autocorrectors changed it to, St Armies, was in August 2001. Uh, the Blues won 2-0. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank scored the opener. But which Croatian stepped off the bench to add a second in stoppage time? 2001. 2001. Croatian Mario Stanic. That's right. Got There's a bit be, of respectability. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, brought back to it but Simon uh, it's, it's a big win it's it's been a difficult what 24 hours or so for you with, with what happened at Stanford Bridge does this ease the pain of that somewhat? yeah I'm going to do another voice note send it to Lucy after this <laughs> I felt like when I answered that final question correctly it was almost a, a Timo Werner Fernando Torres vibe where everyone was actually just <laughs> really like patronizingly encouraging <laughs> that I'd managed yeah. to I'd managed to score uh, he did, Liam, did. Liam did a question. <laughs> With the assist from Mario Stanich. Uh, right, before we go, Liam, you, you mentioned your excellent piece on Luka Modric and Mateo Kovacic and their relationship. Can you tell us a bit more about it, please? Yeah, no one's interested in it now. But um, I, went to, <laughs> I went to Zagreb for the weekend um, to visit Dinamo. Dinamo Zagreb. Well, walked around the Maximir a little bit. Um, Watched, watched their game on the Sunday and talked to people there about Modric and Kovacic. And that there's a there's a lovely picture which has been you know online for a few years as well. But it's at their training ground of a an early teens Kovacic smiling shyly while uh, Modric, who was the star of the Dinamo first team at the time, has his arm around him. And it's blossomed into a really close friendship that was kind of forged at Real Madrid and Croatian national team. And, and now they're kind of, they, they regard each other almost as brothers. Um, Modric was godfather to, to Kovacic's son last summer. And they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're just really, really close. And it's kind of a friendship that defines Croatian football. And I thought would uh, would underpin the first leg of, uh, of Chelsea Real Madrid, but then Tuchel didn't pick Kovacic. So, um, so yeah, that, that was a very enjoyable piece. It seems to have been well received. I will probably wait until just before the second leg to tweet it again. I don't know how interested people will be in it, but uh, yeah. And, and then beyond that, just working on, um, you know, a piece on on Pulisic, who was given a, a two by Le Keep, uh, which seems pretty harsh. So I'm, I'm just digging into how harsh that was. <laughs> um, and then ahead of the second leg, probably working on an article about what Chelsea need to do to get back into the tie, basically. Lakeep putting the poo in Pulisic, you might say. Um, Simon, are you on TakeOver Watch? I was going to say that the, the gag is Chelsea are full of number twos. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's better than mine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um... Lucy actually applauded that, whereas she looked absolutely <laughs> repulsed by my one. <laughs> um, what am I doing... Um, I'm turning 47. Oh, congratulations. Uh, that, that, 46. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, so therefore I'm spending after today, the day we're recording, just trying to switch off a few days. So basically I haven't got much, much to promote. I will be working on stuff today, but, um, who knows, um, whether that will see the light of day or not. But, um, but yeah, the biggest story is me getting even older and more miserable. 
Well, at least you got a quiz win to uh, <laughs> take into your birthday <laughs> celebrations. Last one as a 46-year-old. Wow. <laughs> what a moment. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. We'll react to everything that happens in the wide and always fascinating world of Chelsea Football Club. Then do join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic. <laughs> 